Welcome to How Do You Engineer, your engineering podcast on a boat. I'm a guest. No, I'm not. I'm a host. Sweet <laughs> Martin. I got so close. I'm so good. <laughs> I'm a host, Simon Whitmell. And uh, this week, we've got our first uh, international guest uh, joining us via Skype. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I am Kyle Smith. I'm a mechanical engineer in South Louisiana. This is the furthest anyone has come to be on our podcast. Come? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the furthest anyone has been away and been on our podcast. Okay, yeah. Because I think our previous record was like Waterloo, which is <laughs> like an hour. An hour by car. <laughs> so you, yeah, you're, you're setting the bar real high all of a sudden. Oh, damn, all the pressure's on me. Not sure I could do this. <laughs> all right. So um, yeah, you're here to tell us all about what it's like to work in a shipyard and also maybe a little bit about being a uh, an engineer in the states i, I think you're also our first mechanical engineer yeah i think oh. pretty much everyone oh. else has been electrical or systems if someone was they're going to be mad at me now but uh, let's just say you were <laughs> you are i'm thinking back oh well i guess uh like victor's background was mechanical. oh yeah victor's mechanical. Oh, he also he was, he was but he was engsai he's a whole different breed and he didn't really talk about i guess he talked about mechanical engineering oh it doesn't matter Let's just say whatever. Whatever. We'll just say I'm the first, and hopefully I'll embarrass all the air mechanical engineers out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we get into the interview, as usual, let's, uh, let's engineer something that we don't know how to engineer. So today, Pete showed me a crazy video about something called, what was it, the D-Drive? D-Drive, I think, yeah. And it was... Uh, a continuously variable transmission made entirely out of planetary gears and huh. black That's magic cool. by the look of it. Invented <laughs> by a plumber in Australia. Yeah, I I watched it go for like five minutes and, well, went over the video footage of it and I still can't figure out how it works. But, yeah, basically uh, Simon and I would sit there looking at it and be like, okay, so this is, okay, so the, the wait, no, what what is that doing? <laughs> Why is that turning? It's, I, is I it, know it in... Hmm? Is it like a conical looking like thing? I think it no, might. It's not I a CBT. It, oh, no, okay. It's not, it's not your traditional looking CBT. It's got a, it, the power comes in and it goes into what looks like a planetary gear system that is itself off centered inside a larger gear. And what? so I was watching it go. I have no idea what it's doing half the time, but he, the way it works from what I can see is he's driving two shafts, one of which carries, well, they both carry power, but the differential speed between them is controlled by a second motor. Mm -hmm. And then that second motor, hmm. you can drive forward and backward. And the speed of that motor changes the output gear ratio. Anyway, I, we'll, we'll put the we'll put the video link in the show notes because I honestly can't explain how it works. It's bananas. We I think that's witchcraft. It a, yeah. yeah, we started calling oh. it a galaxy gear instead of like a planetary gear. Or a solar got, system like, gear. multiple little planetary <laughs> systems. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it's got like a planetary gear inside a bigger planetary gear. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> anyway, uh, but that's not all that important because that guy's already engineered that. So mm -hmm. we need to think of how we one? would engineer. Well, I, probably not better since the guy, so the guy took like five years to... <laughs> well, was, like, no, no, we years. could do it. We're engineers. Years. We could do this. It's just a all Friday right. afternoon. We could... Figure this out. <laughs> can knock one out. Yeah. Um, for cars, are we going to limit it? Or you, you yeah, said earlier anything, but I think that's a little too ambitious. Yeah, probably. Let's say cars. <laughs> well, um, well, the uh, general gist behind a um, a transmission is to basically change up the speed of the of everything, right? It's been a while since I've done a transmission shit. So yeah, speed up or down and torque up or down, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, it shouldn't really matter what the application is because it's just a scale, right? We could be mm -hmm. it could be a ship, it could be a car, it could be 
a ten. Yeah. Um, we just want something spinning to go either faster or slower and have either more or less torque. Yeah. So I, I, mm-hmm. I think I know how a traditional transmission works. It's a whole bunch of different pairs of gears, and mm-hmm. then you dis, you disengage the clutch so that it slows down, and then you can basically change what set of gears is connected to the power and the output, right? Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you think about it in the most uh, simple way, it's a bicycle. You're basically changing gear ratios by sliding your transmission up and down. Yeah, your but- input doesn't change, but the output does because you could changes ratios exactly yeah Yeah, and and a car is the same principle but the clutch is more complicated and the gear ratios are more complicated yeah Mm -hmm. well actually it's probably i think the gear ratios are simpler in a car because in the bike you can choose your drive gear and your takeoff whereas the the car it's just pairs of ratios Mm -hmm. so it's actually a simpler system uh in terms of the mechanic well in terms of the (laughs) gear ratios but not the mechanics because you're having to switch between much bigger gears fair enough um okay so i think the one I've, I've heard of that I think it's freight trains have is a um, it's a pneumatic or a hydraulic gearbox. And so you have your engine is connected to a pump and it's pumping fluid. And then you're driving that fluid through. Um, hmm. I don't know what you would call the other end, a water, basically a water wheel. But it's you're you're, dri- you're using hydraulic pressure to drive a hydraulic motor at the other end that's driving the wheel. So it's. The neat thing about it is you can gear you can gear down like crazy, but if your wheels get stuck, it doesn't drive back with huge amounts of torque because the the fluid basically just flows around the uh, the hydraulic uh, motor. Well, that's more clever than any, than any ideas I would have. <laughs> I, yeah, that's... I, I can't claim to have made that uh, to have come up yeah. with it. It just seems like a cool starting point because you could yeah. do some neat stuff with like. I, fluid dynamics is kind of a black art to me as well, but I feel like you could do some pretty cool stuff with like nozzles and. All I remember from fluid dynamics is a bunch of guys' names. Everyone gets, <laughs> every, everybody gets their own number. Yeah. So I guess I'm the expert here. That was actually like one of my best classes in college was fluid dynamics. Okay. Yeah. So could could we do something cool with like nozzles and different like paddle wheels? I don't know to change the. It gear might be ratio? a bit too. I don't know. Nothing comes to the top of my head, I'd say. <laughs> but I transmissions are, for being a mechanical engineer, transmissions are pretty foreign for me. The only oh, okay. thing that comes to my head right now is power equals torque times uh, RPMs. That's all <laughs> I have in my head right now. Well, that's, that's a step closer than me. I just, I, I have these vague pictures in my head from like the how does it work books of like blown apart engines <laughs> and stuff and imagining yeah. like. And I know a few different ways of doing transmissions in robots, but they're pretty complicated and they wouldn't really work in a car i don't think because i think the pro like the hydraulic one is cool but i don't think you have gear like multiple gear ratios it's basically just like it becomes more efficient the lower the resistance yeah it's the multiple gear ratios because if you do some of the stuff that we do with like cap stands and harmonic drives and stuff like that you're a single ratio yeah Mm -hmm. okay so the other cool ones you were mentioning the like the traditional cvt it's like Mm -hmm. cones right yeah, that's the one I'm familiar with. And it's got a, I think the, like a, like has a belt around it and it's like sliding yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Those ones are neat. One. I, there's, there was a, I was trying to think there's another interesting one that I, I saw. I played once around mm-hmm. with something like this using magnets where we had magnets on a disc facing another disc that had, uh, I think it also had magnets. And so basically the closer you brought them together and the faster the drive one spun, the second one, if it was going too fast, you'd almost get like slip and the second one wouldn't move quite as quickly. If you slowed down, they'd come into sync, and then the, you'd basically get the full um, drive in line with a ratio of one to one. 
but it didn't really work all that well. So well, that's mm-hmm. not much different from like a from a a slippy clutch kind of. It's basically like friction. Yeah. I mean, what about friction? What if we just get some really nice materials where, depending on how hard you press them together, you get different levels well, that, of transmission? I think that might be prone to failure a lot. And yeah, like isn't the point of transmission to keep like a constant output or constant input into the transmission and then do a different output? If you're going to be playing friction, you'll be slowing down the input. <laughs> in the words of Simon, that's just a materials problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's a better material. I can just like, yeah, we just got to, we need some unobtainium and that'll be a surface <laughs> of our, uh, done. Yeah. Um, okay. Then we need, we need something more. We got to think outside the box here. We got to okay. get some transmission. Uh, what if, what if instead of needing to get from the motor to the ground, we just build like, you're from Louisiana. You, you're like, well, I'm from they have, Texas. They, I'm just okay. <laughs> have you, have you, have you, in your part of Louisiana, are there fan boats? Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, I see them a decent amount. Yeah. I, I see so why them. don't we, could we build like a fan car? Fan car? <laughs> like, like instead, instead of, like, instead of driving the wheels, you just have a giant fan on the back of it. Talk about all the drag on the highway. <laughs> how do you, uh, the people behind how you. How do you get the right torque to the fan? Uh, you just go, <laughs> well, you just, it's just one to one. It's fine. Yeah, you just, just do a good giant, okay. giant one to one ratio. Or um, I mean, you got a, a series of drive shafts that get you to the. If you're trying, yeah. I'm talking like from the very front of the car to the back to the fan. Like, how would we get there and build a transmission to get there now? Or either that, or you just get like a a mid engine car. We just go buy a like a Ferrari or something and put a giant <laughs> fan on the back of it. That would even be good because the Ferrari is low to the ground, so you can stick the fan above it. And then it's so your the the car doesn't get in the way of the air flowing into the fan, and you can take out the engine, which saves weight. Uh, yeah. Well, no, or the engine is still there, driving the fan. Yeah, you yeah, I guess. Ri- but, yeah. You, but you can get rid of the transmission that's already in the Ferrari because that's been, a giant chunk of metal. I feel like they tried this on Top Gear and it didn't end. That well. That sounds like a Top Gear thing. <laughs> <laughs> I did okay, just because it didn't end well. That's probably just because they didn't know what they were doing. They're not engineers. <laughs> <laughs> we could totally make that work. Um. No, I, 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 like, yeah, it would probably be a really big health and safety risk because you're, you got a fan behind you. So if you like your hat flies off and it just gets shredded and flies and into someone's face. The cars behind you, you're going to be upping their drag, which is not going to be cool for them. That's true. Yeah. What if, it, if you had a whole bunch of them in a row, then you just basically get like a flow of air going back <laughs> along the highway. And then you're in, you're in a wind tunnel at that point. Yeah. Do you need to have different transmission levels like can you not just pick one gear that's like good enough and uh it depends kind on of always i should know about same. this we were doing some stuff in, <laughs> with engines a couple months ago at my job I uh, and i'm about thinking this. about the the um helicopter that victor was talking about where they basically have a spool of thread and you're just pulling on the spool of thread and uh you you time the size of the spool to the length of your journey that seems like be, <laughs> that seems like it's good when you're only doing like a 20 second test. But if you're going to be doing a uh, a six hour road trip, you might need a lot of rope. Yeah, it's sort of like the like the uh, mouse trap cars that you sometimes kids build in elementary school. Oh, right. Okay, so you take your car and then you attach a hot air balloon to the top of it, and then the as the hot air balloon goes up, it pulls on the thread that goes around your axle, and then you go forward. Right? <laughs> yeah, that seems plausible. It's 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 the the mouse. It's, it's that that kind of car. Uh, the balloon car only writ large. Yeah. What's the guy who jumped out of the hot the the weather? Balloon? Uh, I don't know his name, but I know he did Red Bull stuff. Uh, yeah. Bomb Gardener. Yeah. Or something. We can bomb call it Gardner? the Bomb Gardener. I think I, I we'll have to look it up. We're gonna. We should really know this. 
I don't know. It seems like a nerd cred <laughs> kind of thing. No, about the. It, I mean, with all our talk about SpaceX, it's a very similar kind of. This podcast has talked uh, cost me so much nerd cred. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, because you you can you can rush it away when it's in conversation, but once it's on the internet, yeah, it's then people forever. know that you confused Star Trek and Star Wars once. Yeah, yeah, you're never living that one down. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. No, that was that was ridiculous. But <laughs> I, back back to your previous statement about the motors. I think that is more applicable now that we have uh, electric mm. motors that are reasonably like you can use them in cars reasonably, right? Because a lot of the electric cars you don't even need a transmission. You just got the yeah. the the you got one motor mm. per wheel, and you've got you can output enough torque at the low end with um with the uh, electric motor that you don't need to gear down. And then once you're up to speed, it's it's relatively low torque. Yeah, and just with like motor. modern control systems, it has to be somewhat easier now than ever. So, I mean, could you do – I guess, yeah, and you couldn't do the same thing. It would really need to be – so you could do it electric, essentially. Uh, well, I guess the uh, – the, Yeah, because you pulse the power at higher and higher frequency depending on how much torque you want and then like a sort of like a PWM kind of thing. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you have it always on and then you start ramping your power. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. make it work. So I, I mean, it's I guess the uh, like the hybrids, the ones they got now, where the like you can use the gas engine to charge the batteries, and then the batteries are driving the electric wheels. You're essentially making a transmission. It's just an electric transmission instead of a mechanical transmission. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's not too far off of uh, like the hydraulic example because it was you're, you're moving from rotational energy into um, like pressure mm-hmm. or hydraulic pressure, and then you're using that to drive rotational energy again. It's not far off with electrical. You're using electrical energy to create, or sorry, mechanical energy to create electrical potential, and then you're using that to drive another motor. So it's it's basically the same concept. Actually, anything like that where you could convert it into, like there was hydraulic and then electrical, but there's got to be other things you could do. Like you could use, well, I guess, and that's also not far off with like a steam engine. Like you have mm. a fire, and the fire is converting. Well, that, converting yeah. heat at that into, point, then you're just doing conservation of energy, and like cars are just chemical energy to mechanical engineer, energy to kinetic mm-hmm. energy. Yeah, and I think it becomes a lot easier to like wrap your head around how to build a transmission when you don't like the difficulty is keeping it in mm-hmm. rotational mechanical energy all the way through yeah, the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you get into like something where you've got a like heat or electricity or pressure, where you're not dealing with a combination of torques and RPM. Then it becomes a lot easier because you're just sort of there. It's a fungible commodity, right? You can mm-hmm. pick however you you can output it high torque or low torque, however you want. Even if you figure out a way to go chemical to mechanical in a more controlled way, like using a fuel cell or something, you can control the available power a lot more effectively without needing a transmission too. You know what the best way to go from chemical to mechanical though is though an explosion, <laughs> rocket car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Dwight's payout. Yeah, that that's true. <laughs> I think that's the best. But Mythbusters tried it and it kind of blew up. They did two of them. The first one that's one of their first episodes. Yeah, the first one, yeah. and then they did a, a revisitation where it blew up before it hit the ramp. They're trying to launch it across the desert and it blowing up right before it hit the ramp. <laughs> they concluded that rockets are unreliable. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but what if? What if maybe the problem was they were trying to go for one big rocket? What if we just mounted a bunch of little rockets on the rims well, of the wheels? That was kind of. Oh wait, on the wheels, not on like the. The frame of the car, but the wheels of the car? Yeah, yeah. You, you use that to create rotational <laughs> energy. But still, like, if you're trying to drive from, like, Toronto to Louisiana, that's that's quite a lot of rockets you have to attach to your yeah. wheels. The feel, um, your feel is going to be so high. Or Maybe. That's probably true. How far is this drive? I think <laughs> really it's, like, big wheels. <laughs> 36 hours to Seattle from here. 
So, I mean, like you'll start with skis first of all, <laughs> and then have to transition somewhere around like the middle of the states to wheels. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you have to speed. Then you just sort of like you'll glide across the surface of all the snow. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> we can totally do that. All right. I think I liked the uh, I liked our previous uh, conclusion. Of, uh, the hot air balloon one? That was the best one. That was a vehicle of idea. <laughs> is, that, is that what we're going with? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think uh, we, we do tend to like go with the most – let's go with like the second most ridiculous. No, I like the rocket wheels. My votes are for the rocket wheels. <laughs> no need for transmission at all. Right, you just go going. straight forward and just launch those rockets. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were onto something with, with motors, but yeah, I, I'm willing to go with rocket wheels. Like with electric motors? What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> yeah. Is that, like, nothing. You, no, it'll be awesome. And like, th- think of how cool you'll look. You'll be going down the road. And you'll look like, you know, those like those, the, the pinwheel fireworks, the ones that like you turn them on. They, uh, oh, what are they called? Anyway, they're like, they spin yeah. around and like they create a ring of fire in the air. And you have so many like, alternative energy sources. You can use like, uh, menthos and pop. You can use vinegar <laughs> and baking soda. You can, there's pretty much anything you can throw in there. The clean way. Well, and if you, yeah. Well, it, like actually what you can do, uh, is you, you take like if you have a, if you have a liquid oxygen boosted rocket, then your fuel is just an O2 tank, and then you're just blowing O2 down a tube of like paraffin or something that's on fire, and that turns into a mm-hmm. rocket, right? Yeah, yeah. Because there was I, like I can't remember what was it might have been MythBusters again where they where they tried to build a rocket that ran on like salami. Oh yeah, that's like an older episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like that would be literally you could load it up with whatever you wanted. Well, it's really interesting. I, I once talked to an engineer who worked at the airport here in Toronto, um, and he worked in their power plant because they have their own power plant. Oh, that's cool. And the power plant's driven by an old retired jet engine. And he was saying that essentially those jet engines, like they're designed obviously to run on jet fuel, but they burn hot enough that you can really burn anything. He's like, it'll run on wax. <laughs> you can put a candle in it and it's fine. It'll run. Obviously, it's not effective. You get you lose efficiency and it's dirty, but you can do it. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, once, you, once you're down and you're just dealing with, like, atomizing something and setting it on fire. Yeah, it's compression and flammability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can burn. You can burn anything for fuel. I mean, those big – this will be a good transition. So ships, I mean, they're running off of, like, Bunker C. It's, like, it's solid at room temperature. You have Sorry, to heat, what? They're running on what? It's, like, Bunker, bunker C. C. It's, like, the lowest grade. It's the lowest grade of oil. Like, it's what's left after you refine everything else out of fuel. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that from elementary school um, science class. You've got, like, a big stack. Oh, yeah. When they refine oil, and at every single level, they kind of mm-hmm. tap off something. So there's naphtha somewhere, there's propane somewhere. And- yeah. And so once once you get all the other useful fuels off, you end up with this, like, sludge that you have to heat up in order to get it to flow. And that's that's what, like, big ships run off of. Huh. Hmm. Because they can, they've got big enough engines, they can run pretty much. Yeah, anything, we use right? diesel in my yard. Like all of our ships are diesel. Yeah, yeah well, and diesel is nice because it scales really, mm-hmm. really well. I mean, like my car runs on diesel, and then you just—it's basically the same engine, only physically larger. Yeah, because but then even there, you can use veggie oil if you want to. Yeah, I want to try doing that, but I also want my car to work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure so I trust I... my own like engineering skills enough to be. I, I do. I still. If I had a car, I didn't need to get to work every day. I might try it. Out, so a couple but... of years from now, you'll try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, once my car fails, drive clean. Once I'll just say screw it. You're on vegetable oil now. All right. So yeah, let's say rocket wheels and call it. I'm a day. good with that. Sounds yep. good to me. Okay. So back to the actual topic. What do we? Where do we want to start? Let's start with 
saying that you're our first mechanical engineer. Yeah. Why don't you tell us first, like, what, what drew you to mechanical engineering specifically? Well, when it came to, like, college major selection, the main thing that drew me to it was it's the most, like, applicable, not really applicable, um, the most broad field of engineering. And I'm the kind of person that likes to have, like, a very utilitarian way of, like, having choices, I guess. So I chose this one mm-hmm. because I could work in any, mostly any field except for, like, electronics and computer science. So I chose mechanical. I could do structural, yeah. uh, chemical, stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, is uh, in in the U.S. and in, in engineering programs, do you have a common first year? What do you mean, like like, like an intro course? Like when, when, when yeah, like well, when you when you start a lot of the programs here in Canada, when you go into engineering, you just apply to engineering in general, oh. and you go in the first all the courses in the first year are, are general, and then you like then you specialize. Uh, well, sort of, but you choose your major before you start specializing. Like I did all my classes with chemical, computer science, and civil engineers for like my first year and a half, maybe. And after that, mm-hmm. we moved on to the degree we actually chose. So like, I chose mechanical and I walked in, but I didn't get to the mechanical classes until maybe my second semester, sophomore year. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's pretty similar here. I, I, I say it's a general, you apply to engineering, but you're applying to a specific, you are applying yeah, to a yeah, specific the same way field, but, but if you get to the end of the first year and you're, and you say, okay, no, actually I want to be in a different field, you're, you're, you're a different uh, type of engineering. You're not any further behind. Oh yeah, 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 mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. true. I actually had a friend who switched from, uh, from engineering to math, and he still managed to graduate in four years too. So, because of that hmm. common core. Yeah. yeah, I could very easily have um, swapped or at least got a minor in computer science without too much trouble. Because yeah, you you take so many common classes mm-hmm. with other fields and other people that uh, you can move around a little bit. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, I never really thought of mechanical as being that sort of ubiquitous. It's a neat idea. Yeah, that's why I chose it. I just I like the idea of working in many fields. Like I could go do like actually at my job right now, I do anything from like piping to structural for the entire ship like whatever they need me on they can put oh, me wow. on yeah cool so uh, the the tell, tell us what the your your workplace is it's it's a, yeah, shipyard, it's a small shipyard it, we build it's a small okay. shipyard and we build small ships yeah okay what what is a small ship like <laughs> but I, we, a large we don't ship. really have shipyards <laughs> At least in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> we are a long way from, well, I guess there's the Great Lakes, but nobody builds boats on the Great Lakes anymore. Oh, okay. so. You just pissed off so many people <laughs> with that statement. Oh, probably. <laughs> I, I actually know nothing about this, I should say. Well, um, I didn't, I didn't yes, know when I so, walked into it either, so I'm just a year and a half ahead of you right now. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so yeah, what's a small okay, ship? Okay, well, we do ships that are about 200 feet, I think is the longest ship the shipyard has built, and, that's a, and I've uh, worked on that ship. Uh, yeah, oh, 200 cool. feet at the most. Um, right now, we're about to ship two boats that are about 145 feet, I think, right now, or just 45 meters. It's over 100 feet that we're about to ship. Uh, yeah. Well, you got, yeah, it's, it, it's three uh, to one, basically. Uh, yeah, 145 meters would no, be no, it's, 450 No, it'd be feet. 45 meters. What's that in feet? That's about 150. Yeah, that's right. That's right. A little that's bit, right. Little yeah, that's what we're yeah. then. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. And, uh, like, what kinds of ships are these? Uh, the company does a mix between military and oil field, but since I've been working there, only oil field stuff. So we did uh, one ship I helped uh, test, actually, a while ago was a, uh, what do they call them, a crew boat. They're just boats that are made for getting people on and off oil rigs and bringing food and supplies to them. And then the other two boats oh. that we're shipping this week, I believe, they are... Uh, Offshore supply vessels, which I'm a little bit more ambiguous with on the definition of it, but from what I get, they mm-hmm. basically bring supplies to to uh, oil rigs. They don't bring people, just supplies, and they do like maintenance and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Cool. Hmm. I I never even occurred to me. This is going to show how ignorant I am. It never occurred to me that you would use anything but like a helicopter to get to an oil. Oh yeah, I I think they do this because it gets more people there. It takes like twelve hours to go two hundred mi- two hundred knots offshore. So. It takes a long How time. How far offshore are oil rigs? Uh, I, I don't know anything about oil rigs. I don't, I can't really answer this question, uh, but I know that our boats are designed to go 200 uh, nautical miles offshore. That's all I know. So within 200 okay. nautical miles. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's a big blind spot in my mind that I don't know the, like, what a nautical mile is compared to a regular mile. I don't mile. know the conversion off the top of my head, but I think it's like 1.5, 1.2. Let me see. Like this up. All right, good. Somebody's gonna look it up because it'll bother me otherwise. Well, too. I should know this too because I, I recently I was watching uh, a repeat of Top Gear again. We're gonna talk about Top Gear and uh, oh wait, James May was on a sailboat and they were driving <laughs> on the land and he was talking about how fast it was going in knots. I got that wrong. It's actually point okay. eight six eight uh, miles is a nautical mile. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it's some multiple of like a fathom, right? <laughs> I don't even know how far a mile is. This is great. Uh, a mile is one point six <laughs> kilometers. Right, so... <laughs> all I have to do, all I do in my brain is I go sixty miles is a hundred kilometers, and they have to go from there, and with like doing double division on both so both sides. Do you use a metric system a lot? Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> Canada's weird. We use metric for some things and imperial for other well, things. I yeah, use, use metric for day to day, and then imperial for all the engineering things, <laughs> and also how tall you are. That's not true. I know how tall I am. I'm 182 centimeters. Well, I know I that too, but most people, if you say six foot three, they're like, oh, okay. But if you say I'm 188 centimeters, <laughs> they're like, uh, okay. You know, I don't know. It this says is, it on my driver's license. It's a tangent about, uh, about units, but they teach us everything in school on metric. And as soon as I get to the real world, it's nothing but imperial units. I'm so pissed. <laughs> like, I love yeah. metric. Metric is so easy to work with. And then they, <laughs> when I go to this, whenever I go to the real world, it's nothing but feet, inches. Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> yeah yeah we had that with uh calvin was mentioning that too that uh mm-hmm. working in nuclear everything is imperial in nuke in nuke oh, yeah. that's a suck it, yeah it's kind of i mean it actually the worst i found working in uh electrical design is that you get the mix you'll get down you have some components that are they've got pins that are on hundred thou centers and then they've got other ones that are pins on like half millimeter centers and they just nothing jives. It's it's awful. It's so terrible. <laughs> I, I I would far I I wouldn't I could deal with it being imperial if everything was imperial. But no one agrees because it's all you buy components from Europe, they're all in in uh, metric. But you buy components from the states and they're in imperial and or the UK is another mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah the UK true. is also. I don't even. I've I still have no idea like what they actually use for what. In I the think UK. they're hardcore imperial. They're fully imperial down to like stone and wait all sorts of stuff. UK. I think. Of, I think yeah. Of, I listened to a podcast called Hello Internet, and I think they both live mm-hmm. in Bryn, and I think they say miles. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, they're, all their road signs, again, yeah. from Top Gear, all their road signs are in miles yeah. per hour. Yeah. Even their engineering stuff, I think, is mostly in Imperial. Like, they're always talking about brake horsepower, and like, there's, yeah, there's quite a bit of stuff that's oh, Imperial. God, don't even get me start on horsepower. That's the worst unit of all times. <laughs> I hate that unit so much. It makes no sense. Oh, Just give me watts. Yeah. That's what I care about. That, that <laughs> makes sense. else where, like, here, horsepower, you talk to someone, you're like, oh, okay, horsepower. But if it, all of a sudden you're like joules or kilojoules, they'll be like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Uh, they taught well, us watts well, and joules and, and uh, college. They didn't teach us horsepower. And I start working with horsepower and I just start hating it because <laughs> it's such a, it is such an arbitrary unit. Yeah. It's something like, it's like how much, it's, it's how much you can pull whatever it's like, uh, like one horse could like pull how was it, it, was, it like had to have people pounds? raise it a certain number of feet in a certain amount of time it was it's such a stupid unit <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a bit um, out day well so is fahrenheit but anyway <laughs> <laughs> actually no I, I i i used to think that it made no sense until i realized that it was anchored in like seawater 
Mm. Like zero Fahrenheit is the temperature at which um, saturated salt brine will start to freeze. But 212, I guess that's when it boils. Yeah, it's. I, I don't remember what the uh, what the how he came up with the width of a single degree, but at least the anchoring point of uh, the negative 32 degrees Celsius for zero. That makes sense because at least there's a real world application for that. Uh, it's, it's, I didn't know that. It has to do with like it's it's navel, I think, because it's basically below zero Fahrenheit. The surface is where the surface of the like the ocean will start to freeze. Hmm. Um, and above that, like zero Celsius, the ocean stays open because it's salt brine. It freezes below like below yeah, zero Celsius. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Anyway, that's not the fun fact for the week. <laughs> that's <laughs> just me saying things. I was going to be like, man, I get sick one day, and you guys go totally off the rails and talk about <laughs> units for like 45 minutes. <laughs> Think about shipyards. Okay, let's get back to shipyards then. Yes. All right, shipyards. So, okay, what goes – you said you make ships. What happens – like what's what's involved in making a ship? Uh, well, I'm usually locked in the office most of the time, although my technical <laughs> title is field mechanical engineer. It's mostly just mechanical engineer since I'm usually in the office. Um, okay. Oh, no, it's such a broad topic. Where do you want to begin? <laughs> Can you give us like a, a really short review of like the like the process of building a ship, just so we can see? So where someone you comes fit into to you that? and says, like, I have a particular. I need a ship to go to an oil rig and carry um, muffins and donuts and <laughs> Doritos, whatever else they have on ships. Sixty thousand tons of muffins. <laughs> and so, how? What do you guys do? Just how do you start? making a ship for the muffin man uh that's not my department but from what i know <laughs> like i do i do uh, mostly the consulting on the production side i don't do the design side my okay my supervisor so, does the design side but from what i know they get the proposal mm-hmm. they go plot it out and either autocad rhino or uh, solidworks whichever they want to use for the specific thing they think of a general idea for it and they give it back to the customer and they see what the customer thinks and they say yes or no and they bring it back and forth. There's a lot of iterations. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that, I don't know what happens. I guess payments happen behind scenes. And then <laughs> we get money exchanges hands in dark corridors. <laughs> <laughs> payment, gets, uh, uh, payment gets done. And then like all the basic structural drawings are done. And then we start, as I call it, laying the keel. Which I've actually okay. never seen them lay the keel before. Because since I started working there, they haven't had any new boats. The mm. oil field's kind of taking a huge, like, huge slump right now. So... Right. There's been less contracts lately, mm-hmm. but from I know they lay a keel, which is just basically the main backbone of the ship. It's the very bottom of the ship, like you know, like how it has like the angle at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like where the two sides meet. At yeah, the where they meet at the bottom, that's the keel. It's mm-hmm. the main structure of the ship, and it has like you use that to base everything else around it. Then you okay. then okay. you do uh, the frames, and then you start pulling those frames together like giant Lego pieces. Cool. Oh, neat. Okay. So is the, like I've seen pictures and it looks kind of like a rib cage yeah, for a yeah, while. And yeah, then... that'd be the frames laid out with the keel and then usually the longitudinal stiffeners, which are the main, uh, horiz- not I guess not horizontal, but the longitudinal structure of the ship. They make mm-hmm. sure it doesn't twist or yeah. bend. So they, they're they like the, like the spinal, like they're running the full length of the yeah. ship from front to back? Yeah. What are you making this out of? Uh, we do aluminum, but we do some steel, but... The ships that I only work on exclusively, since I don't do the steel that much. I guess I've worked on the steel a little bit, but mostly aluminum for us. But it's still just a lot of welding either way, I suppose. Yeah. Apparently aluminum welding aluminum is hard. welding, which is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. yeah. I never tried it. I don't know welding. I just know what the symbols look like, and I know how to read them. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. What, Fair enough. I don't really know what the process is like. Welding diagrams are cool looking. I have no <laughs> idea what any of them mean, but I've seen a bunch of them, and it look, it's like hieroglyphs. <laughs> it is, isn't huh. it? 
Have you, have you ever seen I've one? I've never seen one. No. They're like, they have, you'll have a whole bunch of lines and then where lines meet and stuff, they'll have like circles with little flags mm-hmm. on them and like arrows. <laughs> sounds awesome. It's, they're, they're really cool. And it has like diagrams. the, I only know the basics. I think it's like really extravagant. I don't really know like the full detail of them. I, it's kind of like a need to know basis for how welding symbols work at my job. <laughs> <laughs> and the basic one I do is basically a fillet, a fillet weld. Which is a just a line with two triangles on it, is what you'll see. There's two mm-hmm. triangles near the, and then next to the triangles is the size of the weld. Mm. It's a very simple weld, but it's the go-to. It's not like used for anything specific. It's just used for getting getting things together. Hmm, fair enough. And is it like, do you know what does that translate to in a, in the real world? Like, what is do you know what a fillet weld ends up looking like? Well, I mean, I would assume uh, it looks like a triangle, fillet, like yeah. Triangle, oh, like, it's like it's where two things meet at an angle. Yeah, and yeah. You're sort of like filling the yeah, corner. Yeah, with, yeah. So yeah. okay, all right, I can picture that. I, I'm gonna get an earful from my sister because she just finished a welding program, <laughs> so she knows all these. She things can school and, me too. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I haven't, I haven't gotten around to like getting her to tell me all her secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would have any application for them. I just like to know <laughs> secrets. I wanted to circle back really quick. You mentioned a bunch of software earlier on in terms of design. I don't know if you end up using any of that type of stuff, but like you mentioned like AutoCAD and SolidWorks, which I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. and then Rhino, which I've never heard of. And maybe is there like a, a sort of a standard complement of things in terms of software that's good to know in terms of both shipbuilding and also mechanical engineering? Well, 3D software for sure, but I do mostly 2D drawings at my work. I use 3D for specific parts, but I use 2D for like the whole general plan. So I mm-hmm. use AutoCAD for the general plan. Then for like mm-hmm. a specific okay. part, like recently I had to design an emergency fuel tank for uh, emergency generators on the boat. Mm-hmm. And I went to SolidWorks and I just got everything together there, used it to calculate the volumes, made my job a lot easier. And then I... And is it... Yeah. Is that designing like something like something flat that folds up into a... Like, or are you drawing like you're drawing 3D... The, the drawing whole 3D... 3D object the whole 2D. 3D objects. Like... Okay. You extrude, you... Uh, I guess extrude inwards, extrude outwards, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just basically you're playing with Play-Doh or you're sculpting. I guess not sculpting since you're adding to, you aren't taking away. So it's more like Play-Doh or Legos, you'd say. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. So how do you, so yeah. you draw the line basically between 2D and 3D essentially at kind of a diagram versus an actual mm-hmm. thing that you need to imagine and kind of spec out. Yeah. Most of, um, uh, I don't really know how most shipyards do it since this is the only one I've worked at. But we we're, we're going to take your uh, anything oh, you yeah. tell tell us. We're going to take as rote. We're You're speaking for the industry. <laughs> oh, all shipyards it. are that way. <laughs> oh. Until until somebody calls uh, somebody decides they want to be a guest and refute things. But <laughs> all boats are made of aluminum. They're yep. all, they all only go 200 miles. Yeah, that's it. Those <laughs> cruises, those cruises, feet. they don't do anything. They just go 200 miles offshore, and after they come back, <laughs> <laughs> turn around and come back. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure cruise. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah. Uh, you said something about at your shipyard, something to do with the drawings. Oh, and yeah. Drawing okay. So different shipyards, like different levels of it, of specific, specific, they like the drawings to be specific or ambiguous. Yeah. That word. <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> but, uh, our yard is kind of like for at least the systems, at least. So like all the piping, all the wiring, that's kind of up to the foreman to decide how it looks on the specific side. Well, okay. my job is to make sure I know how it lays out across the boat and knows w- and know which system feeds into which and hmm. how each component interacts with each other. Structurally wise, we're a little bit more detailed, but even then I hear that there's places that are way more detailed than we are. Mm. Well, I imagine there's like, there's a lot of uh, special knowledge to, that goes into making sure that mm-hmm. like the, the structure of the ship is solid. Cause I mean, oh, yeah. there's got it. The, the foreman the, we have have been doing this for like 
30, 40 years. They know what they're doing. Like, yeah. it, just like on the uh, engineering side, we show them like how it should look. And then they, they could like, they recommend us like the welds to put on the drawings. They basically do half the structure design with us. And that's, that, that's hmm. the advantage of experience. Like they've been doing this for so long. Yeah. So they have real world, like real world information to yep. bring to it. How do you become a foreman? Like, how do you, and I guess you just do it for long enough that yeah. you kind of work just, your way up the ranks. And like how you become a manager. You just yeah. work your way up the ranks, know your stuff, know how to deal with people, know how to manage people, so on. So these are guys that would have been working out on the shipyard, actually doing the assembly before and then ended up being foreman or? I don't really know do how know? that, I don't really know okay. how it works. <laughs> I just talked <laughs> to fair. them. <laughs> we, we, we're kind of pushing the, uh, pushing the limit of your knowledge there, but okay, back to what you do. So you've got some, some ribs, you got the frame of the mm-hmm. boat, the structure of the boat, then what? Yeah. So when, do, when do they come to you? What, what point is the ship at when you get involved? Well, I do mostly systems or, um, one of my biggest tasks at my job is uh, classification, which is basically making sure everything obeys all the rules and that nobody in the boat dies when it's, when it's out there. Okay. So Sounds we, important. I'm usually responsible for uh, mostly designing or redesigning systems to meet uh, to meet standard. Okay, who's setting the standards? Uh, the American Bureau of Shipping is the people we go with. There's a lot of private standardization companies out there, but the American Bureau of Shipping is the like one of the most renowned ones in the U.S. Hmm. Or okay. ABS is what they're called. Apparently, they like globally they're starting to catch on now too. Oh, cool. Yeah, like we had. Uh, these are before I got there, but they had projects that were military crafts for a foreign military that had to be ABS approved. So hmm. they definitely are very, very, not really prestigious, but people like them. So, but the standards aren't like, they're not uh, federal or like no. it's not a government standard. ABS's standards surpass that of the Coast Guards. They basically base oh. off the Coast Guards. Oh, wow. So okay. if we pass ABS, we pass Coast Guard. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, the the government does have a set of standards, yeah. but it's sort of taken as rote that you'll be beyond those standards. Yeah. And they oh, actually, cool. the government, I guess they got lazy or something like that, and they started saying like, hey, just send us the drawings that are ABS approved, and we'll just say that they're good. So <laughs> <laughs> cutting back on resources, you know, those budget cuts. Yeah. <laughs> So this is like so ABS is a is a it's a private organization. Yeah, like classification doing... society I think is what their technical term is called. They classify oh. ships like the ships I've been working on are high speed crafts, which okay. are boats that go over thirty five knots. Hmm, that's cool. I it's it's interesting to see the difference in the way because we like we deal with with regulatory with electrical design, but it's more uh specific most of them are federal and a lot of it is just dealing with like europe and they have their own set of requirements and japan and south korea and yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I guess i yeah i, I pick on europe because that's the one that i see more often but we're they're they're all pretty bad yep there's the garbage <laughs> can and there's the oh yeah all the different symbols you have yeah. to put on uh... oh that sucks yeah abs yeah, is pretty dumb. simple oh i say they're simple but the rules are very strict and i'm like the it's kind of funny because as soon as I got there, they told they gave me all the ABS rule books and they said read all these and you're gonna be in charge of making sure that everything's up to standard. This is me right after college. I I didn't know what to do, <laughs> so I just <laughs> so I just like was like okay fine I'll do it, and I ended up becoming the main guy in charge of all the uh, regulations within hmm. like a year and a half. So wow, that works well, out. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like a little uh, like a little bit of stress. You gotta go. Oh, it's it's a lot. <laughs> like it's it's a lot. Like I'm I'm one of two engineers in our office. Our engineering department has seven people, mm-hmm. but two of them are designers. One of them is in charge of the inventory. One of them's a electrician. The other ones are secretary. 
And the other one's my boss <laughs> and myself. And my boss <laughs> has a degree in naval, naval architecture. He's been doing this for like 20 something years. Mm-hmm. I have a degree in mechanical engineering and I've been doing this for a year and a half. So there's definitely a, uh, <laughs> inferential difference between us two. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. But so, he helps a lot. Um, so how much is like, you said you're redesigning is it is some of the stuff that um commercial <laughs> products that you bring in and then you have to compare it or uh well there's certain things that we do uh let's see when i first got there uh what happened was abs i changed a lot of their standards without uh or they changed a lot of their standards and my company that 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 since they built boats that were onto their old standards that were of similar design that they could uh we could like continue like building that same design but mm-hmm. ABS got back with us saying, no, you can't. So I had to go in and look through every drawing, read all their comments, read all the rules, make sure everything looks right. If it wasn't oh. right, I had to go and fix it. Then I could resubmit to the yard and then resubmit to ABS. It was a fun time. <laughs> it sounds kind of interesting, though, because I guess I, you get a feel for a lot of different departments, a lot of different roles when you're kind of looking through an entire design with that sort of fine-tooth comb and also fixing it. Like It's interesting that you also the guy who had to make it work. yeah so if something isn't to, to spec it's not just like hey guy this is not working you have to actually <laughs> fix it too that's kind of cool yeah. it's, it sounds like um uh reach with us because uh that's... reach is one of those like the similar rojas like they uh trying to minimize lead and various types yeah. of materials that are bad for the environment but they change it every year every year there's a new list with more things on it you can't have <laughs> yeah that's that's what ABS does. Like every five years, I think is what they do. Yeah, we're lucky though because we just buy stuff from manufacturers <laughs> that's reached. So yeah, we we don't have yeah. to deal with with like how to redesign something to meet it. But sometimes they'll be like, yeah, reach whatever reach twenty fifteen is mm-hmm. now something we can't meet. We got to replace this part kind of thing. So yeah, it's a headache. <laughs> so I was interested. You said uh, um, that you started off doing systems. Like part of your job is is this regulatory kind of thing. As part of its mm-hmm. systems, what are these systems like? I can't. I just like systems can mean a lot. Well, is it uh, just like electrical mechanic? Like uh, one of my very first jobs there was to that was not regulatory based was to basically redesign and mod an engine to go from uh, one form of cooling to another. Prior we used this form of cooling called keel cooling, which is uh, the cooling is a heat exchanger that you use the ocean water to as your heat seek, and mm-hmm. you run uh, the you run all the uh, piping. It's a bunch of half pipes beneath the hull of the boats. This is usually pretty good until they asked me to run calculations for it or run the numbers for it. And I found out that we had had a play of like 200 feet of, uh, of, uh, piping beneath the boats mm-hmm. for each generator that we had. And we had two or three on that boat. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> the My, whole bottom of the boat is just like crisscross. Yeah, like, exactly. Just which, made of piping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just turned that. So and then immediately everybody's like, Oh crap. We, uh, we need to think of something that's going to fix this. And, we looked into uh, the modifications or heat exchangers from the supplier, which is a pretty good thing until you look at the pricing. Then you're like, oh, crap, we could do this ourselves, I guess. So my <laughs> task was to find a heat exchanger, go out there, talk to the, the people that make it, mm-hmm. get all the information from them, bring it back to my boss and the project manager, discuss it. We got the heat exchanger. Then after that, we had to modify the engine itself to be able to to run off this. Uh, it's a plated heat exchanger, so you have two pumps Running mm-hmm. through it, one pumps water on the cool side, one pumps water on the hot side, and the hot side sinks into the cool side. And due to its, uh, it's compact, so it has a lot of surface area. Mm-hmm. So due to all that surface area, you could, uh, transfer heat really easily. So it's basically just, is it like 
other heat exchangers or other kind of heat sinks? It's just a bunch of fins, or is there? Yeah, is it more uh, complicated yeah. than that? Yeah, it's like a lot of fins. I think it's. I can't remember if they use any kind of fins. They probably do on the inside. But but it's, it's something flowing across in one direction, and another thing flowing yeah. sort of across it in another direction, yeah, and yeah. they pass past each other on large surface areas. Yeah, and heat it. is exchanged. And it yes, goes. Heat, hence the name heat exchange. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So this is it. Would this be the water that you're using? Are you? Is it pulling like seawater? And yeah, it's still seawater. Seawater okay. is the huh. best thing to do. Actually, a lot of engines now are they have their own built-in heat exchangers that they just pull seawater through, and they just hmm. change out there. Our engines and our crafts are actually like that. The generators are kind of like an optional package if you want the heat exchanger or not. Mm. Yeah, so it's like it's it's a scaled up version of the like outboard motors that have the little jets of water coming out the back. Yeah. They're doing the same thing. They're all water cooled, but they're using like your lake water. Yeah. But this is just the same thing, but a hundred times bigger kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And and inboard instead of outboard. Yeah, yeah, it's all inboard, not outboard. I think a two two hundred foot boat with an outboard motor would be hilarious, but probably not very functional. Um, okay, so that's uh, that's the kind of design that you're doing. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. You said something, but you hadn't seen the keel laid down. How long does a ship usually like? Does it take from when they start actually laying the keel to when it gets out? It depends on the like, size. From what I get, about maybe. Two years in total of production time. Oh, wow. I think it's two years. So you're married to that project for two years, if not yeah, more, so depending on how big the boat is and how many complications arise. So that's a really expensive boat. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, mean, <laughs> I don't boat, know what the I full mean, prices are. It's a relative term. I'm sure there are. Like if you buy like a Carnival cruise ship, that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. expensive boat too. Yeah. But but you're yeah, you're buying two years of labor. Yeah. You're buying a lot. Considering like I bought – my house took – less than like two months of labor and i'm gonna be paying for it for the rest of my life so i can only imagine that's remarkable i never would have thought that like because it it's such a weird scale because i feel like from your initial talk about what they're used for and their range and stuff like that i was envisioning even though it's 200 feet which is a big boat i had this weird idea that like okay you just like bang it together and (laughs) it's a bunch of like aluminum and steel and some motors and one thing that or one thing that I noticed about that takes up a lot of time is all the uh, surveying that happens. Mm-hmm. Like you have uh, you have your internal QA department that goes through the boat to make sure everything's right. Then you have the Coast Guard go through the boat to make sure everything's right. Then you make sure that a- then ABS goes through the, through the boat to make sure everything's right. And you listen mm-hmm. to each and every one of them for any fixes that need to be done. Mm. And so it, even once you get started, or even once you're like half started, you could be like going around circles yeah. for a while. Like human error could screw up a weld somewhere, so you go back and fix that. Mm. There might be an outdated rule you actually that you actually use, so you need to go back and fix that, and then go back and revise mm. a drawing and all that stuff. It's a it's a lot of moving parts. But so the, like the ships that they're that are leaving the yard right now were started before you were even at the company. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All of them are. Every boat that I've worked on since getting there has been started before I got there. And uh how like how many uh how many ships are they working on at a time in the yard? Uh let's see. Right now we have one two, uh we have four boats right now. Wow. Yeah. So it's 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 got to be a sort of a rotation like once once you're done one it's you got to be getting on to another mm-hmm. project pretty quick. Yeah, actually, you're working multiple projects simultaneously. My desk mm-hmm. is a mess because of how many different projects I'm working on. <laughs> and then you get the projects within the projects you're working on, too. So then it just clears up even more. Yeah. yeah well, is this, I, uh, you probably, I don't know, I may ask you another question that you 
don't know the answer to, but I'm going <laughs> to ask anyway. Um, is this the sort of thing that just scales purely as a factor of like the number of bodies involved? Like I know that, um, for a few projects that I've read about where they have like a huge engineering task, they can just basically equate it to, this is the number of people that can build this. And so if more people means less time or larger project means more people, same amount of time. So it's that sort of thing where you have four boats and you have a crew and that takes two years per boat. But then if you had twice as many people that would take a year per boat, or if you have twice as many boats, you just need twice as big a crew. Like it, if let's say that your company got another order tomorrow for another four boats, but they hire twice as many more people or just uh, it would they, that take that much longer. Well, probably uh, half as many people because we have two boats about to leave next week. So it'd be half as many people, but yeah, they would half again. <laughs> more, more than likely uh, they would hire more because even then you got, yeah, I don't really know what the, uh, what the uh, maximum limit is for different sizes of boats, but I'm pretty sure that you could like hire up to that point for each boat and then, Start building from there. Build all four like at the same time. How many guys could be working on a single boat at one yeah. time, kind of thing? Hmm. I know. I guess I did see two boats get made and leave within my time there. We built two uh, uh, push boats, which are just tug boats that push forward. They usually push giant shipping containers across the uh, across the uh, rivers, usually the Mississippi River. Hmm. Oh yeah. wow! They're used to transferring transferring big, like large payloads. And like, uh, they get stuff on barges or yeah, they push barges across the country. Oh, okay. as they do. Yeah. There and, there are bridges too, right? In Mississippi, <laughs> <laughs> not everything has to go across on a, on a, you, you, you got to go to work or you get onto a raft to get pushed. Across. Actually, I like to, I like to joke around with my friends from Texas that it's like the land of bridges down here. Since like, there's so many bridges that cross so many different swamps and like small rivers. It's on my route to work. There's probably about maybe five or six small bridges. I, uh, I cross. Yeah, I guess you got, yeah, it's, it's all, there's so much wetland everywhere. Yeah. There's actually part of my route, but is, uh, it's just elevated because there's so much wetland, not because there's no water, but it's just, it's a swamp. You can't build mm-hmm. a highway in a swamp. <laughs> You're just driving a, it's a causeway essentially the whole way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a causeway. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, so hmm. the, you said the, the push, the push boats there, so they were smaller than the other. Yeah. Like we built those in like faster. maybe nine months to a year. I think it's how long it took to get them out. Maybe less than that's, a year, actually. That's still like, it, it's pretty amazing to consider the, what amazes me is how much, um, like how far ahead these would have to be planned. Oh, like, I know. Okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to need a boat like five years from now. Okay. I should get, get started on ordering that. <laughs> yeah. You just go to the boat store and, and get your boat. <laughs> like yeah. if you're trying to get a startup, like boating company, you need to start planning now. If you want to get started in like 2020, you yeah. need to start now. If you want to open up your doors in 2020, you need to go to a shipping, a shipbuilding company and mm-hmm. say, I need to see in four years. Set up your website. Then you can go <laughs> order your boats. <laughs> I don't know. I think I would start ordering my boats before I had a website. <laughs> how many uh how many kinds of boats can you guys build like is it is a shipyard the sort of thing where you just build ships and if people come to you with a particular type of ship you're like oh okay well we'll just make make your ship or do you have specialties where it's like well we make oil rig ships and push boat ships and the main that's specialty, kind of our thing our main specialty is aluminum like that's our selling point as we oh, build okay. aluminum crafts which are lighter which means less fuel but they're more expensive to build so it's the trade-off is there also like is it an advantage that like the aluminum isn't as susceptible to corrosion and possibly like, I, I don't really know the long term effects. 
Yeah, Possibly, I've always wondered though. that about building ships out of steel. Like you're you're they're <laughs> sitting in salt water all the time. It that, seems like they rust like when they're on the air too. Like when I first got there, the two steel boats were about to ship. They were sitting on land and they looked like they're like 50 years old. But no, that's just like <laughs> that's how it rusts. It just rusts really easily, just constantly. Yeah, well, I, I would imagine that just being around salt. I mean. Uh, because it's winter here it's salt everywhere all the roads are covered in salt and uh i'm looking at my car and i'm always like i'm surprised that this thing is still a solid chunk of metal and not a pile of rust on the ground yeah. considering the amount of salt that's caked on it so i i can't imagine with the with the ships with exposed steel like now they, they are they're all like painted and whatnot before it goes out are yeah yeah we all do the paying and i know that there's like several layers of paints that mm-hmm. make sure it doesn't corrode Mm-hmm. I think it's like three layers maybe per boat. That's a lot. Yeah. No, I, I would assume because you'd have to you have to have a pretty good seal on it. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Maintenance too? Like do they come back and you guys have to fix them up or refurbish them or stuff like that? Or is it just sort of there, brand new? Since working there, there was, one, there was one maintenance project, but I wasn't involved with it. But they did bring the ship. They pulled it out of the water so they could work everywhere. And mm. actually the crew of the ship was still there to supervise everything to like, make sure everything is going fine. And they were sleeping on the boat. As was on land. <laughs> Our boat is up in the air, but we're still here. Yep. The decade crew. No home. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess yeah, it wouldn't really matter whether it's floating or whether it's sitting up on, would they be stocks? What do you call it when it's... That's sitting? funny, though, because that means they have to pay them to like live on the boat on the, <laughs> on the land and just kind of supervise. Yeah. Yeah, but when you've paid for the boat that required, whatever, two, three years worth of labor paying a bunch of guys to sit on the boat for <laughs> a little while doesn't seem like that much and it wasn't the holy crew it's actually this one may have been the full crew because they went from fort larded no they went to some place in florida to us which is a long drive or mm. what do they call it in war <laughs> a voyage i don't a know a long voyage yeah yeah um so okay so you're talking about retrofitting uh retrofitting engines mm. and systems so what other kinds of systems are there that you'd be involved with you had uh had cooling and mm. that's been my biggest project since working there. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, nothing's kind of mine right now. That's like the project that I, like, I show off in job interviews. So it just like, comes to mind. Then. Uh, <laughs> but I do do other things. Like I've done, uh, I've done several ride alongs for different, uh, boat, uh, what they call them sea trials, which is the testing of the boats. Oh, cool. I've been on, uh, What's several of like? those. The first one I did, I went on just like as a ride along. I had no role for it. I just was mm-hmm. like, I want, I never been on a boat out in the ocean before. So I was like, I really want to do this. It took 11 <laughs> or 12 hours to do. Okay. It was, they're doing this thing called the FMEA trials, which is, uh, the boats we make, they have this thing called the DP system, which stands for dynamic positioning. Okay. And it, it's basically a GPS, a GPS aided stationary system. It, it's a control system that prevents you from moving without using an anchor. It oh, keeps okay. you in the same spot. Oh. So using like the thrusters on the ship. Yeah, using the using the bow thrusters and then the the props or the the jets huh. in the back. Cool. What they would do for that test, which I I was only there to watch, was they had to make sure that the boat will stay stable no matter what. So they would go through the boat and systematically fail every system and <laughs> di- fail different systems in different combinations to make sure the boat stayed still. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was kind of fun, but like. When I got back at like 3 a.m. and I had to be at work at 8 the next day, I was like, this is not going to be a fun <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs> no, you sleep on the boat. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. I was concerned about that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that w- I did that, and that the next the next time we take that same boat out, we did speed trials. I was, I was also there to watch because I'd never done the speed trials before, and mm. we just tested the boat at different speeds, going for different lengths of time. Tested the boats at different uh, turns, see how like well it could turn without without the possibility of like tipping, which would be bad mm. if it did during the test. Yeah. <laughs> I would want to know that that had been tested. Yeah. So we did that. And then recently, we with the two steel boats we have, we did river trials, which is which are basically steel tr- uh, sea trials, but they're closer. Just that mm. the some some clients request we do it in the ocean, some clients say do it wherever, so we okay. did it in the river instead. And it was the same thing, but I was conducting the test this time, which I didn't know I was conducting the test until I walked into the boat. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you're in charge. Have fun. <laughs> exactly. I was like, wait, what? No, he told me this. They just gave me the sheet and write. They just, they just gave me a sheet and they told me to write down numbers. They didn't tell me I was actually going to do this stuff. <laughs> so you tell I, somebody else what numbers you need, and then they do it. <laughs> exactly. So I was there testing the boat, in charge of testing the boat. Just a young. Fresh out of college engineer with a year of experience testing out a boat. It was kind of fun. <laughs> and then recently, the last the last test I was involved with was a stability test, which is whenever you you go into the hull of the boat, you get a bunch of weights on top of it, and then you shift the weights on top of the okay. hull. Okay, yeah. How and do you, you see shift how the weights around? Uh, well, there's different ways to do it. You can do it with a crane. Mm. You could do it, how we did it was with a forklift on the deck. Oh, we had a forklift like drive around and like lift up the weights and then put them down. And these are like giant forklifts. These are industrial size forklifts. They're not your typical like Walmart Casco ones. Yeah. These are giants. <laughs> like the big ones that uh, move the whole, the big shipping containers around and stuff. Yeah, they're like that. Actually, these are maybe a little bit different. They have a, the structure is definitely made for what they do. I don't think they could be used in different situations. Hmm. They're specifically for lifting big heavy weights well, for this thing. Actually, they have moved, they have moved sh- shipping containers around, but I don't think that's what they're actually made to do. They they're have a lot. also capable of that. Yeah. Yeah. But they, cool. they would drive around that and I was there to watch and I take measurements. I wasn't, I wasn't conducting this test this time. It was another guy. And what sort of things are you measuring there that when you're moving the weights around? We would, uh, we would have these giant pendulums on the boat and we'd see how far they shift. Oh, okay. And then oh, okay. the yeah. uh, the engineer who's in charge, who was the guy who designed the boats, he would go through and uh, take the measurements at each one. He'd give us a signal to like mark the point that I was at that time, so he'd go over there and see where it is without any kind of interference. Mm-hmm. And we just ship, we'd shift the weights back and forth till he got enough measurements. And then at the end of the day, we took the uh, the total depth of the wire line, so how far it was from the top of the boat, from the top of the deck to the wire line and he'd use that information to basically run a simulation to see how stable this boat is see if it passes any tests if it fails mm. any tests so well, these like, guys that are doing these the designs and kind of the stability tests and stuff like that i've only ever seen this sort of thing on uh like tv shows where guys are doing really large scale um i forget remember the word for it it's like these guys who go out and they salvage, oh, sorry, salvage, <laughs> um, like salvage <laughs> operations the where they have this guy who's like a master chief, um, super duper captain who can basically like use or drive any ship that you could possibly find. And they go out and they do these multi-million dollar salvage operations where some kind of transport ship that was carrying cars to Japan fell over and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they go and retrieve it. And they have divers and things like that. And they have kind of a ship stability and modeling guy who can 
really quickly in like a matter of a day or two model the ship that they're working on and figure out how to move ballast around to get it to flip right side up and how to put where to put airbags to get it to rise to the surface and stuff like that are these guys using software like that where you're kind of just modeling a ship and then taking a look at how it's going to work i have no idea this uh boat was designed from an outside design firm this was like one of those things like the customer went to a design firm then they brought the designs to us and said can you build this and then we Ah. build it yeah that's another way how we do things too that's where i come in most of the time too is like Mm. if there's a problem with the design or promising in the field i go out there look at the drawings and if i can modify the drawings if they made any small changes out there that had to be done Mm. so the the redesigns you're talking about sometimes it's be something that someone else had designed yeah. from most of the way. And then you said, okay, you need to tweak these things yeah. to make it meet certain requirements. Yeah. That's another way I'll do it too. Since I've been working there mm-hmm. since we haven't designed anything new, or at least mm-hmm. we haven't started, we had designed things new, but I'm not, I'm not part of the design team. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not involved in that part. I would like to be actually, that's why I went to engineering is for design. So one of these days, hopefully <laughs> that's a good, that's a good segue though. So what would you like to do in the future? Like uh, we like to kind of finish off with, what uh what you'd like to get into what sorts of um directions you want to kind of go towards in the future what things you like about like engineering and what you'd like to do with those things that you like well ideally i would like to work for tesla or spacex those are like my good <laughs> those are like the two jobs i want to work at so badly yeah <laughs> i know a lot of engineers who want to know i want to go there so badly but our mechanical manager was saying the other day that he'd work for spacex for free i'm not sure his <laughs> wife would agree with that but i, I think he would definitely go for it I would do it. Like one thing that one thing that I I really realized during my senior year of college is when I did the design class, I was uh, the de- I was the design team manager. And I realized I really liked being in charge of the projects. So my career goal is to become in charge of like your design team or open mm-hmm. my own engineering firm. I don't know. I got my EIT license recently, which I could work towards a PE. And a PE license okay. makes you like better for opening up a engineering firm. Yeah. But I if like, you wanna, if you want to call it an engineering firm, then yeah. Yeah. So for, for our, our listeners, EIT is engineer in training and yeah. then PE is professional engineer. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We, we talked about professional engineering and I, I imagine the process is a little bit different, but in the, at the end, you're, it's a certification that you have mm-hmm. that people will know that they can trust mm-hmm. you to design stuff. Right? I think it's pretty similar. I think they're, I mean, they're missing the iron ring stuff, but that's not really part of the PE. So, well, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a different, um, yeah. organization. Like every, yeah. every location has a different, I mean, uh, every province in Canada has a different organization. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, for, uh, each state is, uh, registers PEs and EITs. I'm actually registered with Texas. Okay. Yeah. But it yeah, carries so- over to like, like EIT doesn't really mean anything. It just looks good on resumes, but <laughs> we get insurance. PE, discounts, that's why PE means yeah. a lot of stuff professionally. Yeah. 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 Especially in your field. I mean, in our field, um, it's not quite as necessary. So we only have maybe one or two engineers in our whole company that have PNG, which is yeah. the equivalent. But I know uh, it's like required for, so like it's basically required for civil Texas tech where I yeah. went to school. They made like, if you cannot get your, you could pass every civil engineering class, but if you fail the, the FE, the fundamentals of engineering test, you can't get your degree. Oh, mm. wow. Yeah. Texas tech required you to can't do it. work otherwise. Yeah. Because civil engineers do a lot of public works or public projects. And uh, people like it if you're doing public works with a PE license. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they gotta be able to point at it and say, "Yeah, this guy yeah. has." Mechanical's like fifty-fifty. I got it because I think it looks good, and I like to. And there's also a point of uh, doing work where it got really slow. I was like, "I'm gonna start studying for the FE now." So I studied for the FE for two <laughs> months and took it. Nice. Um, so yeah, you want you you, you want to get into 
some uh, some some company pushing the edges of what you can do with uh, with science or possibly going into consultancy. Uh, yeah, I want to do something that pushes the edges. That's why I'm yeah. all for Tesla or SpaceX. Bigger aluminum boats. <laughs> <laughs> or Bigger really, boats. really tiny aluminum boats. Nanotechnology. This <laughs> Nanotech is where we got to go. <laughs> Actually, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start rocket wheels. I feel like I feel like nanoboats is the solution to a problem that we haven't thought of yet. It probably is. Maybe that's what SpaceX barges should be made of nanoboats. <laughs> All right, we get we make a whole bunch of tiny boats that form that form like a mesh that covers yeah, like the a... surface of the ocean, and then when the rocket can just fall into the ocean, but then all the nanoboats like buoy it up and carry it back. <laughs> yeah. Easy. All right, write write it down. Write it into SpaceX. All right, Elon Musk, if you're listening, we got your solution. (laughs) It'll never fall down this way. (laughs) It'll just be like a nice blanket that'll catch it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yakety Sack still has to be playing. (laughs) I actually listened to the episode today. (laughs) Yeah. I'm picturing it now. I think, actually, just completely go back to what you're, I think part of the reason why we imagine that like shipyards work a lot faster than they do is that you never see video of a shipyard that's not at like a hundred times speed. Like whenever you see them doing shipyard work, it's always at really, really fast sped up oh, speeds. Like, so you can yeah, actually the, see uh, things happening. The yeah. stop, not stop motion where they got time lapse. Yeah, time yeah. lapse photography or whatever. Because it's yeah, in order to be able to see the rate at which things are changing, it's got to be taking like a picture, mm-hmm. maybe a couple pictures a day. But then you get you get this weird like sense that uh, like a ship just goes suddenly appears in the middle of a shipyard. Or like I was saying, you watch a documentary or something on Discovery Channel, and they're like, "We're gonna make this giant Carnival Cruise Line ship," and the the actual building of the ship is like the first twenty minutes. Yeah, and then they do some like, surprise. And, there's yeah. a ship. <laughs> what they don't tell you is it took them five years to build. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, that's, yeah, showing that's and then we uh, then we sat here for five years watching them build a ship. <laughs> Probably quicker though for people that build cruise ships. I'm pretty sure it might be like two years too if they have a big enough crew. Yeah, well, I guess see, uh, with any of these projects, you could build it faster what, as you approach like the maximum number of guys who could mm. realistically Just be working on it. Yeah, like I was saying, more people and more money, and then you can get it done faster. Yeah, but everyone knows more money, more problems. <laughs> 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 All right, let's uh, let's let's wrap up. Then. All right. Uh, so I told you we, we, you'd get an off or get an option for which uh, fun fact you get. Um, are you more interested in uh, fugu fish or the city of Podunk? <laughs> they both sound like gibberish yeah, uh, they are kind of um, i'm gonna go with a fish okay so fugu fish is the name of there's um it's a type of sushi and it's uh it's controversial because fugu fish is toxic it's got a uh oh, is this the puffer fish? yeah it's a, it's a puffer fish and it's a tetrodotoxin is the kind of poison it's got and it's a neurotoxin and um so there's there's been a bunch of of uh, news not recently but a while back because they're allowing um, supermarkets to sell this fish if it's been prepared by a sushi chef somewhere else and that's a big kerfuffle about whether they're going to kill a bunch of people. But um, one of the things that I found interesting about it when I was reading up on it is that there are people. One of the reasons people like the fish is because it poisons you. Apparently, part of the experience is that when you eat the fish, it makes your mouth tingle what? and go numb. Because <laughs> oh you're actually Whoa. like, you're, you're, you are poisoning the nerves in your mouth. And there is a type of fugu fish soup that involves taking the liver of the fish, which is the most poisonous part, and boiling it to make a broth, which oh, is poisonous, crap. specifically because they want the, for the sensation of this like toxic tingling. 
It oh, that like, is a weird high. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, yeah. Can't, I can't imagine being like, man, I want to get poisoned a little bit tomorrow. <laughs> I feel like there, there are far cheaper ways of making that soup. <laughs> Just drink bleach. Well, yeah, no, I, yeah. Expensive is not the problem. It's it's the question of like far less likely to accidentally kill yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you I, pay I, yeah, for no, the survival rate. I think so. Yeah. No, and there, I, I was reading there are people who still go. They'll go to a sushi restaurants and they will get a guy, find a, a sushi chef, and they will pay him specifically to break the rules and serve them li- like the, the liver as a suit like a sushi made out of the liver which is specifically like the most poisonous part of the fish Ugh. and uh, <laughs> so apparently it's a thing but yeah i don't know this is all the things i was reading and i was like this is the apparently the ultimate sushi is the one that might kill you that's weird damn yeah. that's hardcore <laughs> i just i for me i thought that was like the hill have you seen jiro or Euro dreams of sushi on netflix yeah yeah it's yeah, a great, that, great show that's the sushi i want to eat that's it not yeah. not poisonous fish that sounds <laughs> terrible yeah i i can't I, I can't imagine it being so good that it'd be worth the chance that you might have to be like have a machine breathe for you until you like because <laughs> that's what like that's what it does if you get if you get the fugu the um the tetrodotoxin poisoning it it shuts down your diaphragm. Like, it shuts down all your muscles, but the problem is it shuts down your diaphragm, so you stop breathing and then you suffocate, but you're conscious. So if they don't get you to hospital, then you are just completely conscious while you suffocate to death. And But if they do get you to hospital, then they hook you up to a breathing machine and it keeps you going until you until you until like the toxin goes through you. Oh but God. even that just sounds like the worst experience. So I can't imagine. it would. This has got to be like the most amazing tasting food. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, it's just, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> Some people. <laughs> Some people, yeah. Anyway. I have friends who tried the fermented shark that they bury in Scandinavia, in Iceland, actually, I think it was. And even that seems to make more sense than this. <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah, at least that's the worst thing you're you. doing is like puke. You're not going to die. Yeah, yeah. That tasted so bad, I died. And part of the experience is you follow up by a whole bunch of liquor, so there's that. <laughs> it doesn't make you sick because you kill all the bacteria with Aquavit, right? <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for, yeah. uh, for yeah, joining us. this has been us. fun. Hey, if you need any, uh, if Abby's ever gone again, if you need a guest host, I'll be more than happy to join. This has been fun. Great. Cool. We, yeah. will, we will certainly take you up on that. No, no recurring guest, I'll be fine with that. This has been fun. That's all I could say. <laughs> yeah. I've always been used to hosting podcasts. I've never been a guest before, so this is kind of cool. That's great. Well, thanks again, and uh, hopefully we'll Can be. I play in touch. my podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Sorry, I yeah. will. We'll, I knew that was coming. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll pretend we didn't forget that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you've got this podcast. Yeah. Yes, I tell do. Us, tell us all about your podcast because uh, it's, it's called Everyday Superhumans. It's a podcast where we go around and talk to either nonprofit workers, uh, local entrepreneurs, or small business entrepreneurs, and. Um, and anybody who like has like a, like a really cool set of skills, like we spoke to this one woman who had, speaks eight languages and she's been to like over a hundred countries. So we wow. spoke to her and we just, cool. we talked to them and like we feel, we want to know like what makes them tick, like what makes people want to go out there and like start their own business, start their own nonprofits. One guy joined the Peace Corps. Not everybody joins the Peace Corps. That was a great and, episode. That guy was oh, awesome. Yeah, I know. He was so fun. I thought I would love to have him back again. He was so fun. But yeah, we're called Everyday Superhumans. You could find us at everydaysuperhumans.com. Or Twitter, which is at SuperhumansCast, Instagram, which is Instagram.com slash Everyday Superhumans, and Facebook, which is Facebook.com slash Everyday Superhumans. That's E-V-E-R-Y. Wait, is that right? <laughs> E-V-E-R-Y-D-A-Y-S-U-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N-S. I'm not sure I spelled the entire thing up, but that's it. <laughs> you didn't know it was a spelling bee. No, it's great. I've, I've already told people stories from your podcast. It's, it's a good time. Yeah, it's yeah. been pretty fun. We've... Uh, I think the my two 
I, the first one is definitely my favorite because it was the first time we did it and me and my, me and my co-founder slash co-host were like, holy crap, we're making a podcast. This is actually happening. <laughs> I thought you guys felt that same way too when he started this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's too bad we go back and listen to our first episode and the audio quality is so terrible. Oh my God. I, I can't listen to mine anymore. <laughs> you had to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, so. We'll plug our own podcast while we're here. Yeah. Uh, if you want to, <laughs> if, if you're you, listening if to you it, you probably know about it. <laughs> yeah. Here for you've been listening to it. So no, but, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can, uh, you can find us on how do you dot engineer or Facebook dot how do you eng. And, uh, you can tweet us and tell us all the things that you thought at, at how do you eng. Everything we have is how do you eng pretty much except for feedback, which is feedback at how do you dot engineer. And you can go on iTunes and rate us and also Everyday Superhumans so that more people can hear our awesome podcasts. And we're on Pinterest. Oh, yeah. yeah. We don't have those. <laughs> you don't have Pinterest? We don't oh, use man, Pinterest. We use Reddit. We have a Reddit. We have reddit.com slash r slash Everyday Superhumans, but that's it. Uh, no that's, Pinterest. We got to get on Reddit. Yeah, get on it, man. That's yeah. like where all the nerds yeah. are. It's perfect for engineers. <laughs> nerds are our people. <laughs> Hello, my people. All right, I'm gonna get out there. <laughs> Actually, apparently, according to Facebook, 65 plus retirees are our people. Yeah, our demographics <laughs> really surprised me. I'm not sure who these people are. If you're 65 plus and you have Twitter, I want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a really interesting demographic. Um, all right, so thanks again for yeah, thank coming you. and talk to us. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, thank we'll you. Talk to you again in the future. Yeah, talk to you guys. Later. Have fun in Canada. <laughs> we will. <laughs> Bye. This was How Do You Engineer, brought to you this week by nothing. Fugu I'm, fish. I'm hungry. <laughs>